Now, um, we have a Sunday school class for primary, any primary school children who would like to go to it and join it. You don't have to. Uh, you can stay in if you wish to. But uh, if you wish to go out, this is the chance for you to go now. And while the children are on their way, um, I have done a sheet for this morning. I don't know if we've still got any left. Uh, got a few left, yeah. So if anybody didn't get a sheet when you came in, perhaps raise your hand, and if Martin would be kind enough to hand them out. Um, anybody need a sheet? Josephine, do you need a sheet? Yeah? Um, So I'm, this morning I'm speaking, going to be, I'm planning to speak thematically on the importance of public worship, the public worship of God. I'm going to refer to a number of uh, verses in scripture and I, I do know that for some people when I do this it's quite difficult because it takes them a bit of time to find the reference. By the time they found the reference I'm on to the next one and so it's a sort of permanent sort of catch up. So I thought I would give you a sheet uh, so you don't have to be rummaging through your Bibles to find um, the references. That way also you've got something you can take home with you and you can check out what I've said uh, at your leisure at home. Um, uh, so uh, I hope that will be helpful for us. But let's now uh, come to God and let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Almighty God, we want to thank you so much for the delight that it's been to be in your presence and to worship you, uh, to see one another as well. What a delight. Thank you for that, Lord. And uh, Lord, uh, we pray this morning as we consider uh, the subject of the importance of the public worship of God do pray that you will help me to teach your word faithfully and clearly and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray also that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there's anything that needs to change in the way that we think or in our desires and, and, and in our actions, we pray that we will know that it's you speaking to us, not just a man but we will sense that you are speaking to us. Uh, we pray, and we pray you'll give us the grace to obey what you say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you'll have gathered from my prayer uh, and from your sheet that you have in front of you, uh, this morning I wish to consider the subject of the importance of the public worship of God. Now, by way of introduction, let me ask you some questions for you to ponder in your mind. First question. What is the most important event that is going to take place in Poplar this week. 
within half-mile radius of this building. Next question. What activity will you engage in this week which will give you the greatest opportunity to glorify God? I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but just think about these questions. Next question. What single event that's going to happen this week, or what single events, perhaps there might be two, is most likely to help you not to backslide as a Christian? At what event, this is the next question, at what event are you most likely to encounter God? And the next question is this. At what event this week are unbelievers most likely, humanly speaking I know, to be converted and come to Christ? Well, you guessed it. The meeting you're at right now. And also the meeting that's going to happen at 6.30 this evening where Ed will be preaching. These are those events which, will, which fulfill those criteria under God. These are the two great events that are going to be happening in Poplar this week. The, the service this morning and the service this evening. These are the greatest opportunities that you will have to glorify God. These are the times when you are most likely to encounter the living God and be changed by him. These are times, these, attending these two services will do more than anything else that you can do this week to help you not to backslide. And uh, many other blessings could be known as well. Now we live in an age where the public worship of God has become greatly devalued. If you were to go back 200 years, which sounds like a long time, it's not really a very long time, if you were to go back 200 years to, uh, 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 in fact, less than that, 150 years, to 1870, and you were to visit Victorian Britain, you would have found a very, very large proportion of the population, even those who are not true Christians, a very, very large proportion of the population on a Sunday would be walking through the streets and we'd be getting to a church building to worship God. It was commonly accepted that people did that, not just once, but twice. And often the children would go to a Sunday school in the afternoon as well. Well now, of course, we know that only a very small proportion of the population will attend services on Sundays. And even among those who profess to know Christ as their saviour, attendance at services has become a pretty much casual affair. It's become the norm even among those who profess to be Bible-believing Christians, to only attend one service on a Sunday. 
A lot of churches have actually abandoned having a Sunday evening service altogether. And there are not a few who profess to be Bible-believing Christians who hardly ever attend a service in person. Now, I'm not talking about those who are ill, of course. Those who are ill or too weak to do so, suffering from exhaustion and so on. Uh, obviously, that, that is to be expected, and, and, um, and, and for them, uh, online services have, are a tremendous blessing. But I'm talking, there are those who are completely well physically, but see no need or hardly any need to actually attend a meeting of the Lord's people, ever. So what I hope to do today is to show you from Scripture that the public worship of God is both commanded and also very beneficial. And I hope that uh, if you already are committed to meeting with the Lord's people, this will encourage you and strengthen you and strengthen your resolve and help you not to waver in that commitment. But also that if there are any who are among us or who might listen online who are unsure or wavering or perhaps who have become uh, casual, uh, that they might um, be spoken to by the Lord. So I want, to do, uh, I want to consider under two main headings. First of all, why the public worship of God is important. And then I want us to, to consider some practical implications of, uh, of, of what we say in the first half. So first of all, then, why the public worship of God is important. And the first thing is this. The public worship of God is important because God has commanded us to worship him. Um, you may remember how um, in John chapter 4 there is a, a record of how Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman by the well. And... Uh, he engaged her in conversation. He offered her living water. And she said, sir, give me this living water that I don't have to come and draw any more. And he said, well, go and call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. He said, yes, you're right. You've got, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, in fact. And the man you're with now isn't your husband. You've spoken correctly. And then she says, sir, I see you're a prophet. And he starts, she starts to ask a question about worship. Should we worship God at this mountain in Samaria or at the mountain that we, where you worship God in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, as recorded in John chapter 4 and verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is looking for worshippers. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a 
people debate what that means, spirit and truth. I think what it means is that we worship him by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's also spiritual worship in the sense it's not using physical things like animals. But the main thing is it's by the Spirit and in truth from the heart. But somebody might say, well, yeah, okay, fine, I accept that. But I worship God on my own. I, 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 I have my quiet times and I worship the Lord, have my devotions. Um, is that not enough? Is that, is not, that not sufficient? Well, yes, indeed, we can and we should worship God individually. And indeed, yes, the whole of life should be an act of worship. Paul talks about that in Romans 12, that we should offer our whole bodies to God as, as, as an act of, as a living sacrifice, as an act of, which is our reasonable worship, of course. But there are many indications that God has ordered his people that they should assemble to worship. That they should offer corporate worship to God. And this is why uh, we read from Psalm 65, verse 1, earlier on in our service. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Not just individually, but in Zion. What is Zion? Remember, Zion is the city of God. Where is Zion today? Here. As we gather, we are Zion. This is Zion, here. Zion is gathered, here. And wherever another church is gathered, there is Zion. There is the city of God. And God, praise is due to God in Zion, in the church, not just in our own individual tents, as it were, in our own little houses. That's important as well. But in Zion, in the church, we are to praise is due to him. Now, this is also clear from that passage I read in, in Hebrews 12, which is why I read, to it, read, it, read it earlier, that uh, in the second half of Hebrews 12, there was this, um, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, you've not come to a, a, a fearsome mountain with smoke and, 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 and loud trumpets and, and a voice that's so loud and threatening, people beg not to hear it. What's that talking about? It's talking about Sinai, Mount Sinai. You haven't come to Mount Sinai, he says. You're not in the Old Testament anymore. You've come to Mount Zion. There's that word again. Zion. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven. And to God. The judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, what's this assembly doing? This assembly in festal throng, this festal throng of a, uh, uh, gathering, this, uh, what are they doing? Well, they're worshipping, aren't they? Clearly, that's what's happening. And 
we, the people of God, are assembled to join the heavenly throne. The heavenly worship of God. So we should, public worship of God is important because God has commanded it. Now secondly, the public worship of God is important because this is where God is. Now, this is why we read from the other psalm, Psalm 87. Uh, On the holy mount there stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken. Zion, city of our God. Why does God love the gates of Zion, the gates of the city of God, more than the tents of Jerusalem? In other words, yes, you've got all the individual households of all the people of God. But why does he love the city more? Well, he loves the city more because that's where the people are gathered together and that's where he is among them. That's where God has chosen to dwell among the people in the city, the city of Zion. Now you might say, well, surely God is everywhere. Of course God is everywhere. He's the omnipresent God. But he's chosen to manifest his presence as his people gather. Now Jesus talked in the New Testament, in Matthew, as recorded in Matthew chapter 18, uh, he talked about church discipline and how if, if somebody sins against you, you should go and show him his fault and if he doesn't listen to you, you should take two others along and if he doesn't listen to them, you should tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, he says, then you should treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. And then he goes on to say in verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Or it could be translated, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound. It can be translated that way. But there's tremendous authority given to the church in the decisions that the church makes. And he says, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask for, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, he's not talking, some people misinterpret that and say, oh well, if two people get together at a coffee shop, and then, then you've got the church. No, no, no. Because the church, clearly Jesus is defined as the place where there's the church discipline going. A group of people who are under his authority. So by two or three, what he means is that you know, a church can be very small. It, you know, people, some people say, oh, if a church is less than 20 people, it's not viable. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. Because churches can be very small. But where there's a church gathered in the name of Jesus... There, Jesus is. His presence is there. Or Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, um, speaking to the 
the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews who who've been gathered into the Lord's people, he says, he says, you are no longer, Ephesians 2 verse 19, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So God is present in a special way when the people of God assemble together to worship him. Now thirdly, the public worship of God is important because God is particularly glorified when his people worship him. The worship of God is not intended to be purely private. I say purely because, of course, we should worship God privately. We should, as part of our private devotions, we should be giving thanks to God. And as we go about our daily lives, we should have hearts that are singing to the Lord. Of course we should. But that's not the, the private worship of God is not the end, not the, 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 the limit. Paul, David says in Psalm 57 verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. God is to be publicly worshipped. This is why we have our meetings publicly. They're publicly announced. The doors are open. Anybody can come in off the street. Because this is a public meeting. In fact, in UK law, church services are, I believe, by, by definition, public meetings. But rightly so. We are publicly worshipping God and the, the, the times are open and, 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 and the notification goes up. Anybody can come to these meetings. And, 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 and what we say is, is, is broadcast electronically. We don't hide anything. We're declaring openly the worship of God. And that is right as, as we assemble in God's presence. And this brings glory to God that God is publicly honoured as God and Saviour. Fourthly, the public worship of God is important because this is when God speaks to his people. Now, I, I quoted earlier from that passage in, Rome, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Towards the end of that quotation, we have this. We've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As the, when the people of God assembled at Mount Sinai, God spoke to the assembled church, to the assembled people. What happens when the people of God assemble around Mount Zion? What are they doing? What is happening? God speaks. Not with a direct voice in the way that he spoke 
at Sinai, but he speaks through his servants as they preach the word of God. So um, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul mentions how the ascended Christ, having gone up to heaven, he poured out gifts upon men, and he mentions how Christ, Ephesians 4 verse 11, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature. When does that happen? When do those who have been given the gifts of teaching the word of God, when does that happen? It happens as the people of God assemble together. And yes, of course, we can hear teaching online. And as I said, if, you, if it's impossible to get out, then that's, that's a good substitute. But there is really no substitute for in the flesh hearing the actual word of God being taught in person and hearing what is actually said. It is then that God can arrest the heart. You see, if you're just listening online, you can, when it gets a bit uncomfortable, you can just go off and make yourself a cup of tea. Or you can flick the channel. But when you're sitting before the preaching of the word of God, you have to give it your attention. Well, it's very difficult not to give it. You can still ignore it, but it's much harder to ignore it. God speaks to his people. Fifthly, the public worship of God is also important because when we gather for worship, God also speaks to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul speaks about what will happen when they gather and the members of the church are prophesying. And he says to them in verses 24 and 25 that if they are prophesying and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he says, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Here's this thing I tell you again. God is there. God is speaking. Now, you will know that um, at this church, uh, Ed and I teach that we believe that the gift of prophecy was given for the New Testament age, and there are no prophets in the biblical sense today. There is no longer new and infallible revelation being given today in the way that it was when Paul wrote those words. But God has spoken infallibly in his word, the scriptures. And what the believers in Corinth did not have, we now have. They did not have the New Testament canon. The letters of, and, and the Gospels have not yet been written. But now we have the inspired New Testament scriptures. And when 
the preacher is declaring the word of God in the power of the Spirit, then exactly what Paul describes happening in Corinth can happen then. It's not prophecy, but it is the word of God. The, the, the word of prophecy which is written in Scripture, which is coming forth. And that has the potential to do exactly the same. And um, the history of the church is full of examples of how unbeliefs have come into a Christian meeting. They come in completely unconcerned, completely dead in their sins. And then something that preacher says speaks right to the heart. And they say, how did he know about me? Well, of course, the preacher didn't know anything about him at all. But the word of God did. And the word of God searched out his heart and convicted him. And then and there, the man gets converted. So here, if there's no other reason for being in church, here's a reason. Be at the service. Because this has got the tremendous potential to convert your friends. Bring your friends and family along because you never know what God might do. And be there. To support that work so that when the unbeliever comes in, he sees a a, a gathering of people worshipping God, he hears the word of God, the Lord can work in his or her life. Seventhly, the public worship of God is important because when we worship the Lord, we are blessed. Now you might say, well, surely the worship of God is all about God. It is. But God in his great kindness has arranged it so that when we worship him, we ourselves are blessed. So Psalm 65, which I've already referred to, goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. There is a satisfaction, a delight that the true believer will have when he or she assembles with the Lord's people. Where again is the where is God's house? Where is his temple? Well, it's the people gathered. As we gather, there is that satisfaction, that delight from being in the presence of God. Now, um, one example of the blessing that comes from being in the sanctuary of God, being in the temple of God, is, is in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is the testimony of a man who nearly turned away from God. He saw the, the, how prosperous the unbelievers were, and he was just starting to envy the unbelievers. He's just starting to think, what am I doing being a believer? There are all these unbelievers out there. Look, they've got big houses, they've got lots of food, they've got lovely families. Everything's going well for them. And here am I. I'm believing God and I'm poor. I'm only living in a little dingy little house. 
I've got bad health. Have I made a mistake? Have I, have I done something wrong? Have I, have I somehow... Would I be better as an unbeliever? And he's starting to think, oh, maybe it would be better to just give up being a believer. And he's starting to... And trying to he's really troubled by... I can't work it out why it is that the believers do badly and the unbelievers do well. And then he says, in, he says in verse 17, it seemed to me a wearisome task to work all this out until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discern their end. Ah, yes, of course. The unbelievers are going to be judged. They're going to land up in hell. Of course it's worth being a believer. But what was the pivotal moment for him? The pivotal moment for him was, I went into the sanctuary. Then I remembered. Then it all came clear. And this is what the Lord does for us so many times. We're starting to doubt, starting to have questions, starting to wonder if it's really worth it. And then you assemble with the Lord's people. You hear the word of God again. Yes, why did I ever think of backsliding? The Lord pulls us back from the brink. So, the worship of God is important because it's a blessing for us. Eighthly, the worship of God is important because when we worship, we're practicing for heaven. Consider the vision of heaven that John had in the book of Revelation. It's described in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and chapter 5. First he sees the Father seated on the throne. He sees he has, he hears the worship of the Father. And he sees the worship of the Father in this vision. And then he sees the, the Lamb. Looking like he's been slain. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And he hears not just the Father being worshipped, but also the Son being worshipped. And we read in Revelation 5 and verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and power and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now do you think God expects us to just live our own solitary lives as Christians, never to have experienced worship, communal worship, and then suddenly, whoa, bang, you die and you're in heaven. Oh, no, quick, quick learning lesson. Now we all got to learn to worship God together. Of course not. We need to start now, don't we? We need to get ready now for what we'll be doing then. That's what we're going to be doing then. Worshipping the Lord together, communally. Well, surely we need to start now. We need to practice. Get ready. 
for that day when together we will be worshipping the Lord. Well, so there are, there, there are those eight things which tell us the importance of the, the public worship of God. Maybe there are other things that could have been said, and maybe you could mention other things to me. But those are eight things that come to my mind. Now, uh, let me just then try to bring out the practical implications. Just trying to you see, it's all very well to have all these great ideas, but what does it mean? And it's when our lives, it's when these things, well, they they, they talk about the rubber hits the road. <laughs> You know, it's 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 when it's when we actually think differently and live differently that we actually show that we understand and believe this. So, what are the practical implications of of what we've seen this morning? Well, first of all, we need to be present when the public worship of God is happening. Now, by the very fact that you are here. I take it that I'm preaching to the converted. But nevertheless, maybe some of the converted need to be reminded and strengthened in that because maybe some of us will just come from time to time. If you, if you are persuaded of the importance of public worship, be encouraged in this and continue in it. Don't lose what you've understood. And let me address anybody who may be listening online. Some will be doing so because of poor health. And, 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 and it's great that you're able to listen in when you're not able to, to, to attend. But could some of you actually be here? Other reasons of maybe convenience or whatever it is, you're, you're, you're not being here when you could be here. Well, if that's the case, do you need to change your practice? And maybe some of us who are here this morning, maybe we, you, you attend maybe once or twice a month and that's it, or few, once every few months and then you're not, you, you don't attend again and then you pop up again well you need to make this a habit week by week of being among the people of God unless of course as we've said health prevents but then not just Sunday morning but Sunday evening ah now that's perhaps where perhaps we do need to think about this don't we Is there a reason really why you can't come back this evening? Some I know can't. Some, you've really busted up to get here. You'll go home exhausted and you might feel, well feel exhausted for the next few days. That's understood, of course. But is that true for all of us? I don't think so. I suspect not. And for those who could be here, let me ask you these questions. What could you do this, more, this evening that's more important than the public worship of God? Watch a football match? Is that more important? 
Go out with your friends, is that more important? Spend time with family, is that more important? Do some shopping, is that more important? Do the ironing? Get ready for work tomorrow, make the packed lunches? Are they more important than the public worship of God? Are they really that more important? In fact, some of those things that I've mentioned, should you be doing them at all on the Lord's Day? Six days you shall work. God has given us six days to do the, to make packed lunches and, and do the ironing and do the cleaning and do the DIY and do the shopping. And we've got six whole days for doing those things. On the seventh, he says, you shall rest. Is it really more important? Are those other things really more important? Now, some, I know, live some distance from the church building. But could you not, um, maybe obviously you can't do it for this week, but maybe next week, if it's, not, if it's a long-distance job di- di- travel for you to get here, could you not, uh, as, as, they, as it's done in many churches, uh, could you not bring some food with you and, 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 and have lunch at the church building and have a quiet afternoon, maybe go out and do some door knocking? Do some, do some evangelism. And then come back for the evening service. Could you not do that? That's what they do at Met Tab. They, they have a, they have, a lot of people have lunch there. And then they go out and they do some street work and witnessing and inviting people. And, and they, they drag people, literally drag people off the streets for the evening service. Why not? So we need to be there. You need to be present. And let me say to anybody who's not yet a Christian, look, you want to know Christ. The best thing that you can do to know Christ is to be present each time the Lord's people gather. Because that's your chance to hear God. That's your chance to hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you're not a believer, come. Be present. Now, secondly, application. Now, this is... We need to be on time. Now, I have said, and it's true, and I don't retract it, better late than never. And I don't want anybody to think, oh, I'm a minute late, I can't show my face because Henry will have a go at me or something. No, no, no. If you happen to be late, come in anyway. Of course... And of course, you know, I've had kids myself and I know what it's like. You're just about to leave the front door and where is Tommy's shoe? Or a nappy has to be changed. These things happen. Of course they do. And obviously, we w- wouldn't want anybody to think, oh, no, I'm going to be criticised. But if you are somebody who is habitually late... I would ask you, would you be late for work if you were invited to a football match? Would you be late for the football match? If you were going to the theatre, would you be late for the theatre? If you were catching a plane, would you be late for the plane? I don't think you would. So why be late for church? 
Are you saying that church is less important? That worship of God is less important than catching a plane? Less important than, than going to the theatre? Are you really saying that? You I'm sure you don't mean that. So why do we do it? Oh, I don't know. Well, perhaps because it's, we think, well, it's, it's family, it's friends. Yeah, of course, of course it is. But we're also coming to worship God. And so we, we shouldn't be late. I put it to you. And in fact, really, in order not to be late, what we need to do is we need to aim to be early, don't we? So we've got that extra five minutes, or extra ten minutes, so that if anything does crop up on the way, we can sort it out. And we can still be on time. Now, thirdly, we need to dress appropriately. Now, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, it's addressed to women, but I'm sure that us men can learn from this as well. We should be addressed appropriately with respectable apparel with modesty and self-control now there's two things there modesty not having too little on self-control not having too much flashy stuff on and we can go to one extreme or the other can't we and and um You might have thought I was going to say that men should all wear suits and women should be dressed as if they're going to weddings because we're coming to worship God. But I'm not sure that's what the passage teaches. If anything, the passage is saying, look, don't overdo it. Don't dress to impress with, you know, gold and jewellery and really expensive clothing because that's going to be a distraction for yourself because you're going to spend so much time getting ready and it's going to be a distraction for other people because they're thinking, oh, isn't she smartly dressed? I'm nothing compared with her and they're going to feel inferior and it's going to distract them. But modestly, decently, but not overdoing it. That seems to me that's what Paul is saying there in that passage. But the point is this, we're coming to worship God. We're just coming up to summertime, aren't we? And I think we might be tempted to sort of come to, come to meetings, we know, in our Bermuda shirts and shorts and flip-flops. And, well, we're just going to come to relax. But is that really appropriate for a gathering where we're coming to worship God? Fourthly, we should prepare ourselves for the worship of God. We should structure our week in such a way as to give the worship of God its proper place. Now I can remember, it's etched on my memory, a rebuke that I had as a 16-year-old. I, I turned up at church with sort of matchsticks under my eyes and I was obviously very, very tired. And my pastor said to him, where have you been? And I said, well, we were at a party last night. I got home about three in the morning. He said, you shouldn't do that. 
it's the Lord's day. You, you, should, you, should, you should go to bed at a time when, which will give you enough sleep so you can, you can be there. I felt thoroughly rebuked, and, and, but I learned my lesson. We need to go to bed on time, don't we? You know, part of, you know, we talked about being early and, and being ready. Well, part of that is we go to bed early enough on the Saturday night. So we're ready to worship the Lord. And we need to get up in good time on Sunday morning. We need to spend time in personal prayer. We need to confess our sins. We need to, to the Lord. We need to uh, cultivate a loving heart so we're, we've come ready to worship the Lord rather than just sort of, we sort of stagger in, you know. And oh, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to worship. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's, ch- it's church now. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm supposed to be worshiping God. No, we should come ready to give Him that worship. And praise. And of course, part of that also is like Jesus talked about, about being right with each other. Uh, do make sure that from your perspective there's nothing outstanding with, with another brother or sister. And then fifthly, we should engage fully in worship. Now, at the very basic level, this means staying awake. Sometimes we can feel sleepy, and if we're sitting still for a period of time, it, you, know, you, you can start to sleep. We, we all can do that, can't we? But there are things we can do. We can, you know, I sometimes come away from a church service with a very sore tongue because I've bitten my tongue so hard to force myself to stay awake. We need to stay awake so that we can be engaged. And, and we need to exercise discipline, don't we? We, we? Sometimes we can be singing the words of him. We're singing them automatically, but we're thinking about, oh, well, next week I'm going to be going to do this at work. And, I'm going to, and, and we're thinking about, oh, I must do this clearing up when I get home. And we're, we're, we're thinking about something totally different from what we're actually singing. But we need to make a conscious effort to to focus on the words that we're singing. As we're, as we're listening to the word of God, we need to pay attention as it's being taught. Something I find helpful, you, you, some of you I know making notes on your phone, that's great. I find it helpful to bring a notebook to church when it's, when it's my turn to listen and to, to make notes. Sometimes I never look at the notes ever again. But the fact that I've written them down, it's forced me to actually think, what's he saying? And, 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 and note it. So that that is helpful for me. Maybe it might be helpful for you. I don't know. But we need to engage, and so that we can uh, not only give God what's due to Him, but also so that we can benefit. And perhaps most importantly of all, we need to pray. Jesus said, as we've read, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he'll be there. He'll be among them. But we should not take the presence of Christ for granted. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus dictated several letters to be written to the churches. And to more than one church, Jesus said, if you don't repent, I'll take your lampstand away. I'm going to close you down. In the Old Testament, there's a 
there's, there's a, the, the Ezekiel sees the glory of God departing from the temple. The presence of God left the temple. What a terrible thing it is if the presence of God leaves a church. There's no hope for that church. It might carry on outwardly doing the services for decades. But once that presence has gone, once the glory has departed, unless there's repentance, unless the glory comes back, it's finished. Ichabod, the glory has departed, is written over that church. We need to pray that the presence of God will be there. God will be known. God will be felt. That the word of God will come with power. That the Holy Spirit will work. That people will be converted. That, that believers will grow in their faith. Otherwise we're finished. Now let me just remind you of opportunities that we have to pray. Not just um, our own private prayers, but we have most weeks, the Monday evening prayer meeting, not having it this week or the week after. Normally there's a Monday evening prayer meeting. Um, there are weekday morning uh, prayer times. Uh, I know some are at work, but if some work late, and so you could join the, the morning prayer time on Zoom. Uh, by the way, Friday mornings, I'm going to start holding that in person because we, we, we'd worked really well this last week. We had, the, the, we had an in-person prayer meeting followed by the, the class and come, come along in person uh, to, to uh, Friday at 9.30. We've got, just to remind you also, we have um, a prayer time before every service. I don't, maybe you don't, you're not aware of that, but we have a prayer time half an hour before every service. Could you not come and pray? Lord, we need you here today. Come, join in the battle that the blessing of God might be known. Well, I hope that that's helpful for us on the importance of public worship and its implications for us. Well, we're going to sing now our final hymn.